I have always been fascinated with how things work. I'm not a mechanical person, so I'm not able to take things apart and put them back together. Guys like Ed can probably do that. Guys like Don, others of you that have mechanical abilities. I analyze things. I take them apart in my head and try to analyze why they work. This week I had to go to the hospital for a bone density test. For some reason my doctor thought that was a good idea. I'm still not sure why, but he's the doctor and I'm just, you know, the guy. And it was kind of interesting because when I went to the Kaiser Hospital out in Fontana, there was this long line of people going in. You know, you got the woman there with the clipboard. They ask the same 15 questions every time you go into the medical facility or... And so they asked all their questions, and I told them, you know, I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but I'm just disgustingly healthy, and, you know, I just apologize, and she laughed. But they didn't take my temperature, which I thought was kind of bizarre. And so then I walked, that was outside in the parking lot, in the parking structure. Then I walked inside, and when I went through the doors, there was this apparatus over here that was about 10 feet high, and it had two big eyeballs on it. It said, look here. And so I stopped where I was supposed to stop and looked up, and the technician motioned me forward, and I said, what is that? What, what is that? Oh, it took your temperature. I said, that thing's like as far away as I am from you, Clancy. And it took my temperature. And so I walked over, over there after she told me it took my temperature, and I said, how does this thing work? How does it do that? And I turned around, and here's my picture. It took my picture, and underneath my picture it says 97.0. So they let me go in because I wasn't running a fever. <laughs> Which, of course, I was grateful for. But I'm, I'm fascinated. And then I go into this bone density test, and I have to lay on this. Any of you done that bone density thing? Yeah. And so they, they asked me, they said, are you able to, to lie still, still for 15 minutes? I said, hey, give me five minutes and I'll be out. You'll have to wake me up to send me home, you know. And so I laid down on the table and the gal tells me this thing's going to pass over me. And, and so this thing goes sliding over and it comes back and then it goes down and it goes ding, 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 ding. And I said, this thing is really weird. How does this work? This is different than x-rays, right? She said, no, this is x-rays just... Anyway, I've always been fascinated with how things work. Um, I could talk to you for a long time about my fascination with a derailleur on my bicycle, which fascinates me endlessly. Um, but one of the things that I've examined with this thing about how things work is I've always been fascinated with how the church works. What makes a church work? What make, you know, my sermon title this morning is What Makes the Church Click? But the whole idea is, what, what, what makes a church work? And so I want to express to you this morning some thoughts that I've been playing with, some things I've been thinking about. As we go forward into the new year of 2021 and leave 2020 in the rearview mirror and COVID-19, no, it's going to continue, never mind. Um, but as we go into the new year, I want you to be thinking about what makes the church work. And so I want you to come with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, beginning in, in verse 21, because the book of Acts is our model for how the church works. And as you come to Acts chapter 2, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know chapter 1 is Jesus ascends and returns to heaven. Uh, they choose a replacement for Judas, and the church is going forward, and chapter 2 opens and Peter, it's the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches that great day of Pentecost 
message where 3,000 people came to faith. And as we come to this portion of Scripture I want to share with you this morning, is there's, we see in the book of Acts this cycle that takes place in the birth and life and health of a church. The gospel is proclaimed. People respond to the gospel by the grace of God, right? And God adds to the church. And as you go through the book of Acts, you see this cycle over and over again. The gospel is proclaimed. People respond. God adds to the church. And in the midst of this conversation in the book of Acts, as 3,000 people come to faith here in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And so this becomes, in my thinking, as I think about what makes the church click, what makes the church work, this passage becomes very instructive as we think about not only the church in the book of Acts, but our church in the 21st century. And there's four things that are mentioned in verse 42 that I want to share with you this morning. Four essential ingredients, if you will, in the life of the church. And so as we go forward into 2021, in the providence and grace of God, sometime in the year 2021, we're going to meet and draw into our fellowship, including our church family, people that hear the gospel being proclaimed, people that respond, and that God adds to the church. Would that be a wonderful thing? It would. And one of the things that we're praying that God will accomplish in 2021 is that he's going to bring us a new pastor so Roy can go ride his bike, right? And so as we're, as we're moving forward, as our search committee meets and, and works forward, um, there's going to be some changes probably in the future. Whenever a new pastor comes, some things change, right? Is that a given? Pretty much, you know. Um, I, I would tell you very honestly, if I were to become the pastor of this church or any church, uh, there's some things that no doubt I would want to see change, some things I would want to do differently. And so our anticipation is that the new pastor is going to have some ideas, and as plans come together, as we form a team around him, and plans come together, there's probably going to be some changes. But there's going to be a lot of things that stay the same. And four things that need to stay the same are these four things in verse 42. Because the scripture says that the early church was continually devoting themselves to these four things. Now, your translation might have a different phrase where mine says continually devoting. What does your translation say? So, so you got that word devoted. Someone have another word besides they devoted themselves? They did what? Steadfastly. 
Uh, it's a fascinating word in the original language. It comes from two words, which means strength towards something. Having strength towards something. It's the idea of adhering to something. Think of Gorilla Glue. Adhering to something. It's the idea of pursuing hard after something. And so as Dr. Luke records for us the life and history of the early church, there's four things that they devoted themselves steadfastly, pursued after, adhered to. What are they? The apostles, doctrine or teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So I want you to think about these four ingredients this morning. Uh, The first one is the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. And one of the things that I appreciated that Pastor Rick emphasized a lot over and over again was we're not concerned about philosophies. We're not concerned about the different factions and isms and schisms and whatever. Our focus as a church has always been in its... How many years old is this church? 111, something like that. One of the primary focuses of our church for 111 years has been what? Teaching of the Scriptures. And so that's going to continue. That's always going to be true here, right? If I have anything to say about it, and I suspect if you have anything to say about it, that's always going to be true. We're not going to stand up here, whether I'm up here, someone else is up here, a new pastor comes. There's not going to be a focus on what's the latest, greatest thing in the news, what's the latest, greatest thing on the front page. The thing that's going to be our focus is going to be God's Word, God's truth, the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. And if, if, you, if you look at the, the history of the church in Acts, um, you see that this is a constant, a constant theme in the New Testament. In Acts 20, verse 10, Paul was saying goodbye to the elders at the church at Ephesus, and he said to them, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching, teaching you publicly from house to house. Paul told Timothy that he should be diligent to present himself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And what's the rest of it say? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Or one of the new translations says handling accurately. The focus of our church must be these four things. And the focus of our church must be on teaching God's word. When I was 13, before I was 13, in my pre-junior high years, my pre-teen years... My dream of my, my future life was that I was going to be a forest ranger. That's what I desired to do above all else. My dream was to work and live in Yosemite. 24-7, 365. That was my dream, to be a forest ranger. At the age of 13, God spoke into my life. And I made a decision in a chapel service at Brethren Junior High and High School, 1963-ish, when I was 13. And I made a decision that day that I believe God wanted me to be a pastor. 
And one of the passages of Scripture that, that spoke into my life was a passage where Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will what? Never pass away. And one of the things that struck me as I was meditating on that verse and thinking about that passage is that I could give my life to a lot of different things in life. I could be a forest ranger if I wanted to, and God could use me and bless that. I probably would never be a professional bike racer, not with this body, but I could could ride my bike and do other things. But what could I give my life to that would last forever? And that's what motivated me, was the scriptures and God's promise. Jesus said, my words will endure and last forever. And so we want that to be the bedrock foundation of everything that happens in this place, right? And hopefully you come and ask me a question. Um, my response is going to be, well, let's, let's take a look and see what the Bible says. Is that, is that the way we ought to respond to most of the circumstances of life? What, what does the scriptures say? What does the scriptures tell us? That has always been true in 111 years, and it's going to continue to be the emphasis of our church. The motto of our family of churches for ever and ever, and I remember as a little boy growing up hearing this over and over and over again, that what the Grace Brethren Church was all about was what? The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And that's always going to be true here. If, if I have anything to say about it, you, if you have anything to say about it. So, the book of Acts says the early church continually devoted themselves, adhered themselves to the teaching of the apostles. We're focused on this book. The second thing that it says they were focused on is what? Fellowship. Fellowship is more than two fellows in the same ship. Okay? Um, Fellowship is more than donuts and coffee. What we need to think about when we think about fellowship is everything that we share in common. That's what the word fellowship means, to share. Sharing in common. Maybe you're familiar with the word koinonia. The fellowship is everything that we share in common because of Jesus. I can go out to coffee with one of my bike riding friends. I can sit together and have a wonderful conversation. We can laugh and tell jokes and stories and things that aren't true. And we can just have a great time. But I cannot have fellowship with someone who does not know Jesus because fellowship presupposes that we share in common everything that we have because of Jesus. I can have a great time, but with someone who's a believer, now the potential for fellowship, what we share in common. The New Testament calls you and me into ministry with each other. There are 29 separate passages in the New Testament that call us to one another ministry. You see, one of my concerns is, in the world in which you and I live, it's become very popular for Christians to believe they don't need other Christians. It's become very popular for people to believe that they can live out their Christian faith and their Christian life in isolation from other believers. God's intention is not for us to be Christian 
individuals. We are part of a body. We are part of a family. We belong together. Do you believe that? We belong together. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we've created small groups to try to get us together. Some people are of the opinion that on a Sunday morning, rather than being in church with other believers, they can go walk in the city park and worship. And you can. I love to go to Yosemite. That's one of my favorite places to worship, frankly. I mean, I call that place God's Cathedral. That is God's cathedral to me. And whether I'm walking in the broad sunlight and looking at the the waterfalls and looking at the granite cliffs and Half Dome and El Capitan, um, I can celebrate God's grace and God's greatness and God's goodness. I love to get up early in the morning and watch the sun come up in the east behind Half Dome. That's, That's just a glorious moment for me. I love to walk out in the meadows at night and look up and look at the stars. I can't see very many stars here at night, can you? When I go to Yosemite, I can worship there. But that's not what God calls us to in the body of Christ. He calls us to be together. To share life together. To be in community together. And whether that happens here on a Sunday morning, whether that happens in small groups... You know, whether that happens on a Tuesday night at Vet's place with a small group that he gathers with, on Friday nights at uh, Eddie and Patty's home, wherever that small group gathering happens, ministry is expected to take place. Because the scripture tells us we're to love one another, serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. Those Those ministries cannot take place in isolation. I cannot walk in a meadow in Yosemite and practice that ministry. That only happens when we come together. Does that make sense? And so the early church, they were together all the time. Every day, it seems like, they were together. And one of the lost arts, I guess it's an art... One of the things we've lost in our contemporary culture for many of us, and I'll say most of us, is the exercise of hospitality. Having people into our homes, sharing together around a table, sharing a meal, encouraging one another out of the scriptures and the context. We've lost that. So much of life is individual and isolated and And I look at the New Testament church and I look at them coming together over and over and over again. That was the the life that they lived. God's intention, I believe, is that for our church, and for all churches, but for our church, God's intention is that we would function together like a symphony orchestra. And uh, Michelle plays her flute, and Jessica plays her saxophone, and I play the radio. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of a symphony is you have all these instruments, right? And they all are coordinated. And there's a, a director of the symphony who's leading them, and that director in our church is whom? Oh, thank you. I'm glad you said it wasn't Roy. You know, the, the director of the symphony, here's Jesus. He's the director of our symphony. And God's plan... God's ambition, God's heart is that we would function like a symphony of ministry to each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other. 
One of the things that thrills me the most on a Sunday morning is when I see two or three people over here praying together. And I see a couple of people over here and they've got their hands on someone and they're praying for them. That's, that's what it means to fellowship. It doesn't just mean coffee and donuts and whatever. There's ministry that takes place. And that's been true in the 111 history of our church and it must be true as we go forward. Does that make sense? So we're going to devote ourselves, regardless of what changes might take place, we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to devote ourselves to fellowship. And then thirdly, we're going to develop ourselves to celebrating what Jesus has done for us in communion. Sharing the bread and the cup together, continuing to share our threefold communion services. We want to remind ourselves regularly of the cross. Maggie, that was an amazing song this morning. And we're going to sing it again next Sunday, right? Okay. Because next Sunday, we're going to focus on Thanksgiving. And next Sunday, we're going to share communion together. And that song just is so perfect. Uh, what an awesome song. We need... on. Oh, by the way, you're reading your Bible and you're going, Roy, it doesn't say communion. It says the breaking of bread. So how come I think that refers to sharing communion together? Well, sadly, the translators left a word out. And I do not understand this, frankly. The correct phrase is the breaking of the bread. It's not just breaking of bread because you find that phrase a little bit later in the passage. It says, uh, where are we at? Verse 46. It says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That was part of their time together in fellowship, breaking bread from house to house, sharing a meal. But in verse 42, it says, the breaking of the bread. And I believe that what Dr. Luke is recording for us there is that there was a regular practice of celebrating, remembering Jesus' death until he came. Uh, and as I read my New Testament, it sounds like they did that almost every day. I don't know that, but it just seems that way. Uh, it was a regular pattern. Why is that? Well, Maggie reminded us this morning when she introduced that song. You know, we forget. We get busy in life. We get distracted by the stuff of life. And, and we don't have it as a regular focus to focus on the cross and remember what Jesus did for us. Maybe you're in the habit of listening to Christian radio. Maybe you're in the habit of playing Christian CDs in the car or whatever. And as those songs go by on the radio or as those songs go by on a CD player... Uh, from time to time, there'll be a song that talks about the cross and focuses on the cross, and you find yourself drawn to, drawn to remember. But we need that emphasis. Because we take for granted what Jesus did for us at the cross. We forget so easily. Life is just full, right? The problem with life is what? It's so daily. <laughs> and we, just, we get distracted by the stuff of life. And it was the pattern of the early church, devoted, stuck, adhered to, the breaking of the bread. We want that to continue to be a pattern in, in our church. We want that to continue to be something that we emphasize and something that we focus on. Um, 
someone has said, people don't want to experience church. People want to experience the presence of God. And that's, that's my prayer every single week. That when we come together on Sunday morning, as we worship the Lord in song, as we open our Bibles, that we would experience together the presence of God. But there's never a moment, for me personally, maybe it's different for you, but there's never a moment in the life of the church where I have a greater sense of God's presence when we are focused on the death of Christ in our communion service. It is in the sharing of communion as we share a meal as a part of our threefold service, as we wash feet as a part of the threefold service, as we share the bread and the cup, um, as we come together on a Sunday morning sharing the bread and the cup. Whatever the context, it's in that moment, in that time, more than any other time, I sense God's presence. And that's what, that's what I want us to share together. We've, we've had a history of doing that, focusing on God's presence, focusing on the cross. That's not going to change, right? Okay, that was a little weak, but I'll, I'll, I'll go along with that. So he says, they continually devoted themselves. They continually adhered to, stuck to, pursued after the apostles' teaching or doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and what's the last one? Prayer. Now again, this is fascinating to me because the word in the original language is plural. Prayers. And I don't know if it's a huge difference, but when I read the word prayers, it just sounds like that's more than prayer. <laughs> more than one. There you go. More than one. And so, prayers, praying together, needs to be one of the things that we continue to emphasize in the life of our church. And one of the things that's frustrating in the midst of all this is here we are in this COVID world where we have limitations on what we can do and can't do. And, you know, how, how, do, how do we get together? Are you comfortable being together in someone else's home? You know, there's people that are, you know, afraid to do that. They're afraid to get together with other people. Um, and I understand that. There's, you know, there's people of high risk. We've got folks that are watching us on YouTube this morning that are high risk. People that have health issues. And uh, they're making a wise choice to stay home. Some of us are here, and a few of us, as I look around, probably are higher risk than average. But you're here. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a weird, crazy time. But the health and life of our church demands, that's a word I'm going to use, demands that we continue to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. We ought to be praying with and for others all the time. All the time. Whether that happens on the phone, whether that happens in person. Um, some people find the ability to pray on paper and they'll, they'll put a prayer into an email. They'll, they'll write a prayer and put it on Facebook and, and they're comfortable doing that. And, 
You know, Samuel, what you wrote this week on Facebook about some of the challenges and struggles you're going through, you know, uh, re- my response, man, I, I kind of drifted from our conversation a month or so ago. I need to come back and remember to pray again for Samuel. Um, we need to be praying for each other. We need to be together praying together. That must continue to happen. It needs to accelerate. Tim and I were talking, I think last week, about, well, you know, we've kind of, because of COVID, we've gotten away from this once a month time where we would gather here in the Sunday afternoon, early evening for a time of prayer. We haven't been doing that because of the whole COVID thing. And, uh, should, and Tim and I were talking, should we start doing that again? Should we get together? We can spread out if we need to. We can wear masks if we, you know. We shouldn't let this COVID thing stop us from being the church of God and the people of God. We shouldn't do that. And we just shouldn't do it. And so prayer was such a significant part of the early church. And they just model for us in in Acts chapter 1. Uh, They prayed for someone to replace Judas. God answered. They chose Matthias. In chapter 4, they're being threatened by the Sanhedrin to shut up and stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And instead of hiding in a corner, what did they do? They said, Lord, give us courage. And it says the Holy Spirit came and they filled them and they spoke with boldness. In Acts 6, they they discovered there were widows in need in the body and they prayed and, and God provided those who would care for them. And, and it just continues throughout the New Testament. It continues. We need, just like the early church, to continually devote ourselves to these four things. And going forward, that's not going to change, right? That's not going to change. There's those things that are, that are part and parcel of who we are as a church. Our search committee continues to meet, and uh, we've decided to invite an organization called ASSIST, ASSIST Church Expansion Extension, uh, to come and help us in this process of finding a new pastor. And part of the process that they've laid out for us, uh, Church ASSIST, by the way, or ASSIST Church Expansion, Church Extension, um, is led by friends of mine that I've known for a number of years. Uh, One of the primary leaders was one of our first missionaries in Canada, uh, Nathan Bryant, his brother, twin brother Phil, went to Canada and began our ministry of church planning in Canada. Um, another of the, the players on the team is Mike Gentis. Mike was here in Southern California as a part of our church in Los Altos, and many of us know him. Um, just some great godly guys that God has given experience and wisdom to. And so we've been talking with them. Search committees talked with them. Elders have talked with them. We're going to bring together some of our ministry leaders here in just a couple of more weeks after Thanksgiving. And we're going to do a Zoom conversation uh, with Nathan Bryant and uh, have him share with our ministry leaders. The goal is that we're all on the same page one step at a time. And so after that, the next step is going to be, uh, I think with COVID, we can still do this. We're going to bring Nathan here in person and he's going to speak to our whole congregation. And so that we all have an understanding, there's a process that we're going to go forward with. There's a process we're going to follow. And you're going to be a part of that. We're all going to be a part of that process going forward. And so as that unfolds and happens, one of the things that's not going to change, four of the things that aren't going to change, Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, the Breaking of the Bread, 
and prayers. We have a mandate from Jesus. Yes? Amen. Amen. And his mandate to us is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus said it in Matthew 28 that we're to disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded us. And so we have a mandate. And I express that mandate in the life of our church that our ambition as a church is that we would be developing mature disciples with hearts for God, for each other, and for a lost world. That's what God wants here in this place. That as we grow, as we mature, as we develop, as new people come and join us, as they're discipled and trained, our ambition is that in a mature discipling process, we will share in common hearts, hearts that love God, love each other, and love lost people. Is that where you are? That's where I am. That's our mandate. That's where we're going. And so as I think of our church going forward, I think that what God is calling us to, regardless of what happens, there's going to be consistent things that happen. And I want you to think of this this, this, this morning in these four words. We're going to continue to be committed to evangelism. We're going to be con- continue to be committed to outreach and to missions, reaching people for Jesus. Is that in your heart? That's in my heart. We're going to continue to be a church, just like we have been for the last 111 years, that's committed to seeing boys and girls, men and women, coming to faith and trusting Jesus as their Savior. Jesus said to his followers in Acts chapter 1 that they were going to be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So our Jerusalem is right here in Norwalk, right? And maybe our Judea is kind of the the surrounding areas. Cities like Downey and Bellflower and Whittier and Cerritos. And if I didn't name your city, it's right there, Santa Fe Springs and Long Beach. You know, maybe that's our Judea. Maybe our Samaria is over there in Boyle Heights. Maybe our Heights of Grace ministry is kind of our Samaria. I don't know. But God is calling us to evangelism. That's where it all starts. The gospel's proclaimed, people respond, and God asks to the church, right? So it starts with evangelism. And then there needs to be that, that facet of our ministry that focuses on education, training, discipleship, equipping. And I walk around this property, and I just kind of shake my head at what God has given us here. And I think, what could we do with this property if we just kind of took the blinders off and dreamed a little bit together going forward? How many of you get on a freeway to come to church on Sunday morning? Just you and me, Aurelia? So I get on my, in my car up in beautiful downtown Laverne. I get on the 57 freeway. I take the 57 freeway to the 60 freeway. I get on the 605 freeway and get off here at Imperial. And one of the things that impresses me every time I come to church is our church is located next to all these major roads, highways, freeways. Got the 105 freeway going right there into L.A. We got the 605 freeway that goes from the beach to the mountains. 
we got the five freeway that goes from Mexico to Washington. <laughs> which, which freeway? Oh, the 60 freeway is right there. The 91 freeway. We, we're right here with all these major freeways. And I just think, I wonder what God wants to do in this place. I wonder what God could do here in terms of training people, equipping people. We got classroom spaces. That needs to continue to be a part of who we are. We are committed to evangelism. We're committed to education, training, equipping. We're committed to edification, caring for others, ministering one to another. That needs to continue to be a part of who we are and uh, loving each other, caring for each other, and caring for lost people. You know, I was thinking about this this last week. Um, I don't know where we are in this. But we discovered just a few weeks ago that there's a possibility of us being able to distribute food to people that need food. I don't know if that's going to work out or not. We might be a little late to the game. But wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if right here on this property we could have people coming that are having physical needs met for food? I don't know if I'll have any toilet paper, but uh, everybody's stocking up this week, by the way. If you haven't been to Costco, you missed the boat. It's all gone. Um, But how can we care for one another? How can we care for lost people? How can that be a part of who we are more and more? Evangelism, education, edification, and then exaltation. Worshiping and praising God. Prayer, worship service, communion, all those things that we do to exalt God and and lift up His name. That's all part and parcel of who we are as we continue to devote ourselves to, what are the four things? Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. We're going to keep doing that. Like I said, I've always been fascinated with how things work. I think that's how the church works. I think it's those ingredients that make the church click. And if you think about it, if any one of those is absent, the church fails to work. The church fails to function. And so going forward, regardless of where we go, regardless of who the new pastor is, regardless of what might change, there's some consistent things, according to this book that we need to continue to give ourselves to. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. The essentials. essentials. There you go, Tom. The essentials. So the question this morning is this. If this is a description of how the church works, how the church clicks, functions all eight cylinders, right? Or if you're like me, you only got four cylinders, but at least they're all working, right? If this is what makes the church work, the question this morning is this. What is your part? What is your part in making it work? What is it that God wants you to do? What's your contribution? What gifts, talents, skills, abilities has God blessed you with, with the intention that they would be utilized in this family to extend God's kingdom, to make the church work. 
The illustration again of the symphony orchestra. What instrument has God given you to play? What's your part? That's the question. And so my prayer is that God would lead us, each one of us, to answer that question. What's my part, Lord? What is it I should be doing? What could I be doing? What's my part in this body? doesn't happen walking in the city park, and it can't happen when I'm walking in Yosemite, but it happens when we're together, whether it's here in this room or in a home or whatever. What's the part God's calling you to? Lord, I'm grateful this morning for the example of the early church. I'm grateful for the, the life and health that I see there. And I'm grateful that... We stand here on this piece of property representing a more than a hundred year history of ministry. Over a hundred year history of people coming to know Jesus. People being taught and trained and discipled and equipped for ministry. We stand on the, on the shoulders truly of others who have gone before us. And we stand here today with thanksgiving for all that you've accomplished and all that you've done. For your kingdom, for your glory to exalt the name of Jesus. And Lord, our intention this morning is not to look back, to not gaze into the rearview mirror. Our intention this morning is to look forward, to look straight ahead, out the windshield, to the future you have for us as a church. And Lord, I believe you have a great future for us. That as we follow your lead, as you lead us, as you guide us, as you direct us, as you lead us to a, a new pastor, as you lead us to a fresh vision of the future, as you lead us to a new day in the life of our church. Lord, we're committed to following the example of the early church. And Lord, my simple prayer this morning is that each one of us would ask that question of ourselves. Lord, what is my part? What is it you call me to do? Lord, help each one of us to answer that question. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. Some of us are comfortable like me to stand up in front of a group and talk. Others would be terrified to stand here this morning. But they have other gifts and other talents that I don't have. They have abilities and skills that I'll never possess. And so for each one of us, you have a place for us here in this family. Something to give, something to contribute. That your kingdom would go forward, that your church would advance. We're confident of that, Lord, as we look to the future. That you're ahead of us, you're leading us, you're guiding us. Give us hearts to follow you. Give us hearts to follow you. Is my prayer this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we sing our final song. It's one of my mom's favorites because it originated in Sweden. It's been translated in lots of languages before it became popular in America. And I know you know it. We're going to spice it up a little bit, so it's going to be a little bit faster. But I think you can handle it. So here we go.
serve a great God. And there's a, a song that I've been listening to, and it has this phrase that I haven't memorized yet, but I'm working on, that there's never a moment He is less than able. There's never a minute that He's not almighty. There's never a day that He is not faithful. We serve a great God, don't we? And so as we leave this morning, be reminded that going forward, there's going to be some changes probably, no, no doubt. But there's going to be some consistent things that we're going to continue to glue ourselves to, right? And as you go out this morning, continue to ask yourself that question. Lord, what's my role? What instrument am I playing as we go forward? Have a great week. Have a great Thanksgiving.